Radio 191 FM podcast. In Otipoti, a local government stirs. Oh yeah! Every three years, the magnates of municipal management compete for the top seat. It takes some pain to wear the chains. Is it their fate to sit for an official portrait? This is 2019 Dunedin Mania. That's right, it's Mania time here on Radio 191 FM, the Otago Museum Breakfast Show. This morning I'm joined by Bob Barlin, Jules Radish and Richard Saga uh, Morena to you all. Morena. Morena. All right, um, we're going to begin with some opening statements from each of you and I'll start with you, Jules. All right. Okay, well, um, I'd like to represent Dunedin as mayor, and I've been a businessman, in, I've got an Otago science degree, and I've been in business in Dunedin for 35 years. The last 12 of those years, I've been a business coach, helping other people get more sustainable and more resilient, smoother running businesses, and I'd like to do the same for the city council. I have uh, a range of platforms around the areas of culture, uh, community, and uh, climate change. So firstly with culture, I'd like to build a pride of place culture based on our heritage and natural values so that we can get everybody on the same page and everybody working for Dunedin instead of against each other. And as far as the climate goes, I'd like to build uh, work on climate change resistance rather than resentment or retreat. So what that means is in terms of defence, I'll build groins at St. Clair to build up the beach by two to three metres. Uh, which will protect us for the next 100 years because one metre of sea level rise is what's predicted for the next 100 years. And that'll buy us some time and give a bit of peace of mind to everyone living in South Dunedin. And then I'd like to uh, go after the causes with electric, small electric bus loops. So to get everybody used to using public transport again, which they currently do not do. We also have a local carbon market and focus on green homes because 20% of our emission comes from housing. And lastly, in terms of a community, there's a lot of resentment for these cycle lanes. I want to, uh, so I've issued a call for use it or lose it on the cycle lanes and I have a, a very significant plan of how to redesign them so that they get more use and uh, create a whole lot less congestion and are far more acceptable to the whole population. So um, I stand for inclusive leadership in my strengths, uh, problem solving, consensus building and strategic thinking. Alright, thank you for that. Richard? Um, I'm standing on a climate change platform. Uh, just regarding student, um, the student area here, I would like it to make it a cycling precinct and, and to get the cars out of the area. And I'd also like to move to nine-month leases for students. Um, regarding the rest of my platform, um, I've worked hard to upgrade my education over the last 10 years or so and have a recent postgraduate diploma in geography as well as a degree in information science. The, the diploma in geography was concentrated on climate science. Um, I've also done classics and history. Um, and regarding, um, regarding the expected sea level rise by 2100, I'll just go off, off topic here a little bit. Um, it's between 90 centimetres and uh, 120 centimetres, I think, in, in the IPCC from 2015, the AR5. Um, but uh, they weren't taking into consideration any loss, ice loss from Antarctica, so I think it's quite a lot more than that at the moment. James Hansen, for example, says it could be three to four metres by 2050. Um, I'd like to see a move to crops, fruit, nuts and places that can support such farming and horticulture lo locally. Um, and I'm sure that um, 
I realise that some of the country around here is not suited to such crops, for example up on some of the Strathtyri, um, but it's, other parts are definitely suited to the, these sort of crops. And um, climate change is starting to hit our ha planet pretty hard. I'm seeing lots of very undemocratic attempts to address that, and that means I'm willing to put up with the personal attention that comes with such campaigns to attempt to address these issues. I believe I'm very much the person for this because I've been thinking about these issues for a lifetime and more especially been attempting to upgrade my knowledge and skills in climate change adaption over the last 10 years or so. I also think that the uh, Generation Zero was very unfair on me. Um, the, they've put me down as, as uh, B plus, I think, on the, on, on the planet um, adaption. What I said was we need to stop using oil, gas and coal, go back to about 2.5 tonnes per person, which is the accepted um, range in climate science at the moment. And um, and mitigation technologies are just not there at the moment. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and you, Bob. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was in the army for 25 years, and then I went overseas and worked for the Red Cross and the UN in disaster zones for a number of years, doing logistics, doing operations, and management roles. And when I'm back in Dunedin, I'm still studying for a history degree. I think I've got about seven papers to go, actually, <laughs> but. That'll probably take me another 50 years at the speed I'm doing it, so with medical science, who knows, I could still be around. <laughs> um, I'm a Vice President of the Dunedin RSA, and I'm also on the Community Health Council as a Logistics Advisor for the new hospital build. So that's why I'm standing for Mayor, for Council, and for the Southern District Health Board, because I've got skills that apply to all three positions. Right, looking at uh, rising sea levels we've got to remember that Dunedin is not just Dunedin City it, the region itself is what the Mayor is responsible for, he's responsible or she is responsible for Waikoiti down to uh, New Brighton and up to Middlemarch and in the case of rising sea levels and flooding what you need to do is consider all of those areas together in a holistic uh, situation for example, what you do in Waikoaiti is not what you do in Mosgiel. And if you build houses in one area, it might well affect uh, something else somewhere else. So what we need to do is form a, uh, a team, firstly within council and then within the council and the council staff, and then with the population who've got really good ideas, including you guys. And uh, we get out there and we write a plan of action, which I think will take six months to do. And then within a year to 18 months, we'll uh, have a plan of action that is approved by the council and there's no getting out of it then. You've got to renew or reassess it all the time. But you get in, you've got something on paper and you've got to follow it. So thank you very much for listening to me this morning and I hope all goes well for you. All right, um, now to the next question. Um, we'll start with you, Bob, the other way around. Oh, no, sorry, the first question. The uh, first question is uh, one pertaining to transport. Uh, we've seen upgrades in our transport infrastructure um, with things like scooters. Um, we've got um, the bus network, which has changed. Uh, we've got uh, the new depot and, and whatnot. Um, but with things like the hospital upgrade coming uh, and having an already overloaded system, especially at peak times, uh, which could get far worse, are we on the right track with our transport plan? Um, and what's your vision for getting Dunedin moving? Well, at the moment, you're right, it's congested and it's not looking very good. But again, you've got to look at transport 
in a wider picture. You've got to look at it holistically or horora. And um, frankly, every different type of transport system complements each other. For example, you've got a lot of commuters coming into Dunedin and they're bringing their cars in. So how you stop that is you have efficient and effective bus services uh, that run on time and run frequently. And my idea is to run a large hydrogen bus service with 78 seats in it from Waikawaiti, perhaps even Omaru, to the city centre and then going down to Mosgiel. And that brings commuters in and out of the city, which should reduce a lot of the requirement for cars. We also have a lot of ground-level car parks. Now, there's no reason why we can't put an extra level on, because people coming from Middlemarch don't necessarily use uh, buses. So they need somewhere to park their cars when they do their weekly or monthly shopping. When it comes to um, in town with the scooters, I would think scooters are not suited in areas where they're competing with pedestrians. They're called footpaths, and footpaths are for feet. And frankly speaking, as a taxi driver, I've seen a lot of very good uh, people driving scooters, but I've seen some real hoons as well. And uh, the hoons are making it bad for everybody. They speed around, they cross over on pedestrian crossings against competing pedestrians, and they really are a menace. And they travel so hard that there's so many accidents and ACC is now finding the money is getting too much. So I think we've got to have a look at the whole thing. All Thank right. you. Uh, Richard, same question for you. Yeah, I agree with what, some of what Bob said there. Um, as, as, far as, as far as these uh, uh, scooters go, I don't think it's appropriate for them to be in a zone where people are work, walking about three or four or five kilometres an hour. And I think transport should be separated by speed. So you'd have scooters and cycles together. You'd have people walking on pedestrian paths, as they always have. And you'd have cars and, and other vehicles moving along at a, a faster rate of knots in, a, in, in different zones. Um, uh, what have I got here? So I would, I'd like to see a lot more bicycling infrastructure. I'd like to see the university as a as a car-free zone, with cycles and scooters uh, using the using the zone. So therefore, I'd like to move the two arterial roads that we've got running through here out of here. There was a plan, I think, back in the 70s to move them up back up to Balmacuran. I think maybe we can move them a little bit further back than that. But um, that's that would be my idea. Uh, as far as the hospital build goes, I don't think it's in the right zone. It's somewhere between one and five metres above sea level where they're planning to build it, and I think they should move it out of that area. My preference is Wakari, but I'd be prepared to look at any options about where it could go. All right, uh, and Jules? Uh, well, I've got quite different views, and uh, I'm all about practical and uh, common sense approaches to these things. So, golly, where do I start? So, I'll start with the, perhaps the... Uh, the order that I think it should have been started with, which is more car parks. And so what we've got now is a whole lot of resentment in the population at large, a lot of resentment for cycle lanes, because mm -hmm. cycle lanes have constricted traffic, taken away a lot of parking, and most people drive cars. No matter what anyone says or thinks, people are going to be still driving around in four-wheeled, fully enclosed vehicles for a long time to come. So there's no point in alienating the majority of the population in order to try and see achieve some ideological goal. To me, the name of the game is to attract people to a better alternative. So, 
Firstly, put in the car parks, and in particular, I'd like perimeter car parks around the outside of town, and then a park and ride situation. So those parks are very accessible to the uh, eco bus that I just talked about, and that would go from the Octagon down George Street, down Albany Street to the university, down the one way, all the way past the Chinese Garden to the uh, farmlands, CRT, and then it would come back past those shops and then a lap round Queen's Garden and back to the Octagon. That would take about half an hour, you know, picking up and dropping off people and it would run continuously. It's an electric bus, about, say, 20 seaters. There's a very good model in Quebec and it's been running for 10 years. And so that would be a very inexpensive bus and I believe that would be well patronised, particularly in tourist season, but also for commuters, shoppers, everybody, and students in particular. So that would, that would get people used to the idea of good quality public transport because at the moment we've got buses running up and down the city carting fresh air from one end of the, of the town to the other at mm -hmm. great expense to the regional council but of no use to the population. So if we've got that, that serves then as a model to spread it outwards. Next bus would go from Octagon to the South Dunedin, the community hub, and increase a whole lot of traffic there. And so I've got a big plan for that community hub to create a lot of activity and things to do for the population, especially young people that don't involve drugs or alcohol. Okay, uh, well, we'll move straight on to individual questions now. Uh, I'm going to begin with you, Richard. Uh, you're an advocate for um, a retreat from South Dunedin. Uh, what is your time frame for for this? Um, and you know, and where does the money come from? And where do you go? Because you, you know, surely not to the you know the flood prone Taiti Plains, which itself is a very high water table uh, and is at risk to sea level rise in in its own right. Yes, it is. I, I sort of Mosgill probably should be moving backwards towards the uh, towards Fowey Flat, for example, rather than out towards the Tyree Plain. Um, as far as South Dunedin goes, uh, it needs to be a stage retreat. You can't just take everybody out of the city. Um, but at the same time, if we don't start doing that, I think that might actually eventually happen. There might be a, a storm that, for example, that breaches the the coastline there somewhere. Or there, there might be another rainfall event that floods Dunedin really badly. I mean, everybody knows how high the water table is in South Dunedin. So I also think that you can possibly build some infrastructure there to try and, like they do in, in the Netherlands, it's not out of a question, but you do have to keep your eye on cost, and it is going to be costly. There's, n there's no options in South Dunedin that are not going to be costly. True. Mm -hmm. sure. Apart from mine. <laughs> All right. Um, Bob, I'll come to you next. Um, you want to place a hold on future rates increases until uh, the new council can fully understand the current financial situation. Uh, and at the same time, you also want to pay uh, existing debt to zero um, before we upgrade uh, the look of the city. I mean, do you not trust the current council's financial statements? Uh, and how do you pay off that debt without increasing, uh, hugely increasing rates? Because um, you've got to pay not only the debt, but you've, you know, you, you'll still be paying until it's gone uh, interest on that debt. Well, yes, but a lot of that activity uh, happens concurrently. Now, I'm not account an accountant at all, but I have run budgets for the Red Cross overseas and the millions of dollars. Um, basically, what I see happening is we put a hold on rates at the moment. We've already put up in the last three years a seven percenter and two five percenters that's quite a lot for a lot of people and there are people out there who are hurting like crazy and landlords in the student areas just increased their their rents to uh, to get these so the students are paying it in a way um 
everything's concurrent. As I said earlier, we need to have a climate change or a sea level rise mayoral task force. And that looks into the whole picture of what we're actually doing. When it comes to the finances, it fits in very much with that climate change thing. I'm not saying we stop rates rises. What I'm saying is we put a hold on them until we've worked out where we're going with infrastructure because infrastructure is a very, very big part of sea level rises, especially in certain areas of the city where it's old, it needs replacing, it needs renewal, it needs renovation, uh, the whole lot. And there's a lot of expense there. So what we've got to do is work out priorities and we've got to phase it so that the most urgent priorities get dealt with first and then we go down the line. And it must all tie in with where we see the threats coming from rising sea levels. Okay. Uh, and to you, Jules, and you've already touched on um, buses, uh, sorry, on cycle lanes, but I, w- I want to expand on that a little bit. Um, you're advocating for a use-it-or-lose-it uh, use uh, for the cycle lanes. Um, are you, you know, we've already put a lot of money into the network, um, and you can't expect people to just jump on their bikes as soon as it's built. Uh, but are, are you saying that if we're not going to use it now, or th- you know, or if we don't see increases in the next couple of years, it's going to be gone? Surely this cycle lane has, uh, cycle network has been built to future-proof the city, to future-proof transport options. Well, I think it's been put in as a failed experiment, actually. Um, so there's so many elements in your question. That it's, uh, you have to give me a few minutes to cover off the various aspects and angles. I'll give you okay. 90 seconds. Oh, golly. <laughs> so anyway, look, the, the, uh, the, the cycle lanes aren't being used. Even cyclists don't like the cycle lanes. So the, the, the design is just not ideal, and it was not as good as it could be. And so I have an alternative. I have a new proposal that I'll repair, reveal now. I've been working on it now for a couple of weeks. And I've shopped it around, not many, a few people, and but uh, I haven't shopped it out to the extent I wanted to. But I, I'm coming under a lot of pressure because of the use it, lose it, use it or lose it cycle lanes. So I put that up, firstly as a call to action. I'm going to use these cycle lanes. Are they ever going to be used? I'm going to make a call to action to get something done. I'm about positive action. I want to do something positively. And there's no more people using the cycle lanes. There's 150 a day. That's an inappropriate use of resources. That's 150 in 24 hours, how many minutes does it take for 150 cars to go down the one way? It's an inappropriate use of resources and the whole thing's been done back to front. You know, I can think of another term that equally appropriate, or probably more appropriate. So the cycle lane should have, the project for cycle lane should have started with car parks because that is going to cause the biggest problem for the population. The majority of the population drive cars. Anyway, my situation, my uh, plan for the cycleways into the future they're going to go anyway right so we didn't spend the money so dcc did not spend the money but they approved the design and what's Mm -hmm. happened and you know it was incorrect so nzta spent the money and that's fine they can afford to do that they're a much bigger body than us and they've got plenty of money to throw away as they've proven (laughs) but we can take the elements of the cycleways that are working now i'm only talking about the one-way cycle lanes yeah you know, we're spending the money to go around the harbour, and that's a fantastic resource for the city and will attract tourists and visitors and a lot of recreational use. Most cyclists are recreational users. 
Uh, anyway, the, I shall reveal now the cutting plan for the cycleways right. is what I think should be done with the one-way cycleways. They're all going to go with the hospital rebuild because our whole transport system is going to change. We've missed the boat on the western bypass, as Richard referred to, because it's half a billion dollars to do, build the flyover bridge from the top of Pine Hill over to the Balmacuan Golf Course. And not only that, to get a resource consent for doing that, I think Richard would be the perfect person to persuade all those Mary Hill golfers to give up their golf course to make a motorway for passes, you know, people passing. I'm one of those guys. (laughs) I don't know if you've got the powers of persuasion for that one, Richard. I don't think anyone has. But anyway, the um, cycleway, what I think should happen, and it's reasonably simple, and I think it's going to be attractive for cyclists and for motorists. From the Leviathan Hotel, mm-hmm. at that point the cycleway split, and so that split still stays. But from there, you have a two-lane cycleway that takes out all of the car parking on this on the right-hand side of the road until it gets to All Press Espresso, mm-hmm. and then it crosses over to the left-hand side of the other one-way. Except that when you're coming south on that one-way, it's on the right. Yeah. So what that means, your cycle lanes are a double lane cycleway on the right hand side of the road for only half of the one way so you're taking it off the other half of the two one ways if that makes sense yeah so you're only taking so from the north from north of all press espresso there are no cycle lanes mm-hmm. not at all so you get all that parking back all the way down through the student area and i know for a fact the hell of a lot of students would appreciate having that parking back because they don't ride bikes and anyway and the same you lose all the parking on on the right hand side of the one way coming south so you know it swings around about you make it one side gain on the other and you've got no cycle lane on the southern part it's technically illegal to park on a state highway Jules Uh, anyway so it's technically illegal to park on a state highway so we shouldn't be having any parking on a one way system anyway Uh, but anyway (laughs) that is such a uh, uh, (laughs) it's irrelevant (laughs) point (laughs) why would you even say that uh, because it's true Um, it's not because we do yeah I know we do but we shouldn't be Uh, anyway anyway I'm not trying to argue with you I'm just (laughs) making the point that it's actually illegal to park on a state highway Uh, right we're going to move on to the next question now we'll start with you Richard Uh, you see the stadium as a problem an ongoing cost um, that is too much uh, for us to take um, and with Christchurch building a covered stadium, uh, we're likely to lose a lot of our events uh, to that city, unfortunately. Uh, and I really enjoy going to those concerts, so I'm going to be a little bit pissed off myself, but oh well, that's how it goes. Um, what's your plan for the stadium? What are we going to do? If you see it as too much of an ongoing cost, what do we do with it? Well, it is too much of an ongoing cost. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with it, uh, but we can't continue to lose. Uh, I'm not quite sure how much it is, but it looks like a $10 million trading loss and whatever the interest is cost on top of that. Um, so, you know, you can't just keep taking that out of whatever capital you might be able to g- gain from around the place. You have to borrow that money or you have to find it from somewhere else. The forestry is making about $22 million a year, but it's kind of it's, it, the, the benefit of that is lost in the stadium fairly easily, I would say. Um, I just you just need to canvas all all options. I think it's a great resource as well, but unfortunately, Dunedin's only a city of 130,000 people, and we're obviously not able to cover the cost of it. So it's a it's a big drain on on the financial resources of the city. Also, I'd like just to have a little bit of a go at the cycling thing. The last few days, I've seen twice. I've seen a, a young a, a 30s woman who was cycling down Macandrew Road. She had a little baby carriage on the back of her cycle and about two weeks ago I saw a 50 year old male doing the same thing with a different type of uh, baby um, 
uh, carriage on the back of a cycle. I think what's happening is the people of Dunedin are moving ahead of the council here on yeah. the cycle paths. Okay, okay. Um, right, uh, to you now, Bob. We'll go for the second question for you. Um, with the uh, recent growth in population uh, after being quite stagnant for a very long time uh, and the projected and that's projected to continue, the city is struggling to house its people. Rents are high. We've got uh, five of the seven highest yielding um, suburbs in the country and you know some of those are yielding 15%. Um, we need more houses. Uh, what are your plans about fast-tracking houses uh, and uh, a process which is being slowed down by council red tape? Well, I think that uh, we do need to look at streamlining the council processes and the RMA process. I think that is a fact. But I'm a little unsure if we are actually having large-scale growth in Dunedin. When you read the 10-year plan, the figures are different depending on which page you're on. And when you read the last annual report from 1718, it's the same thing. The documents don't match up. Um, and you can have a look at that. I mean, one document, the 10-year plan, says that Dunedin is estimated to have a population of 109,000 this year. Uh, it then goes on to say we'll reach 130,000 in 2068, I think it is. I can't remember exactly. So I'm not too sure. They talk about, some people have said a 2,000 people rise yearly. Well, we had 1,600 the other year, but that was mainly from refugees coming in from overseas and immigrants. But in New Zealand, the figure I'm picking up is we're getting about three to 400 people a year coming to Dunedin, and that is sustainable. But the thing is, if you build the houses in the wrong place, like low down, you're going to get hit with the potential for uh, sea level rises, so that's a problem. The other point that we need to consider is how many homes are owned by people who do not live in Dunedin and rent them out on an Airbnb basis. There's a lot of homes being used for that. All right. Uh, and finally to you, uh, Jules, uh, you've been involved in local business. Um, we talked about it earlier off air. Um, you're all about uh, shopping local, buying local. Um, but. How do mum and pup stores compete with the internet? How do we bring more locals back into South Dunedin, Mosgiel, Caversham, uh, North Dunedin, uh, and make local buying local uh, attractive and competitive? Well, I've got two key policies in this area. Firstly, local supply for local need. So starting with the council, they're giving a lot of contracts out of town right now. They've just let a contract for the infrastructure in the main street to Isaacs of Christchurch. So yeah, there's a $1.5 million contract which could easily have been done by various contractors here and down, and that's just one. We've got a lot of services provided to this city by out-of-town contractors completely unnecessarily, and they're good, profitable services. You know, we're, we're, we've got waste management running all the waste at great, at vast expense when we could have had Delta, our own council and company, doing mm -hmm. the same thing, uh, employing local people, and any profitability stays here and accrues to the ratepayers and the council. So the efficiencies of scale are not being managed. The efficiency, the economies of what's happening here are not being well managed. So that's one. Next thing, the South Dunedin Community Hub, I see very positively as part of the future of Dunedin, which is why I'm so keen to save South Dunedin with groins and pumps. So we put in a, you know, fix up the beach, put a lake in, drain it out, and then we can lower the water table and South Dunedin is safe for 100 years. 
We've got a community hub that we're putting in there. We run the commuter bus to it, and we make that a centre of activity. So that is, I see that as being a big part of our future for the next, you know, the next few decades is providing a, a place of purpose for youth so that people can go there and there's all manner of activities, all manner of things going on, mm -hmm. and they can get involved in community type stuff, where it's sports, recreation, education, anything you care to name, it's all available there. Can I just briefly say something on that? Internet sales as a percentage of retail sales are around about 8 or 9%. Um, I've been in retail for about 30 years as well. Um, the internet sales are pretty hard on the environment you know you're flying them from from city to city and i think maybe the local retailers should take advantage of the, those options i mean if they're shipping the their stock in and the and the internet retailers are flying it in that's a that's an advantage all right okay it's time for closing statements uh we'll begin with richard um i I wasn't ex exactly sure of the format here, so I've got a little bit dumbstruck here. Um, I just Why should we vote for you? Uh, climate change adaption, climate change resilience, uh, local business uh, focus, uh, local farming focus, and uh, making sure that the city's finances are running properly. And also I'd like to add that there's uh, loans in the marketplace now for available for local governments and governments around about 0%, so maybe we can refinance some of that debt. All right, uh, Jules. Yes, well, I stand for culture, climate change and community. So I've got lots of policy in all those things. I've had a couple of full pages in the ODT to explain my policy, and you can find them on my website. You can also find a website, St. Clair Beach, to find out what my... Uh, uh, research and everything for the air shows and mm -hmm. uh, basically I stand for common sense and positive action so if that's what you want from your council vote for me. Alright and finally uh, you Bob. Well I've done a lot of things in my life but I've never been a mayor so I'm looking forward <laughs> to the challenge and uh, you know I know that um, I made a statement on uh, our last conference about banning banning them on student flats I think it's important that students and all people have a safe place to live. But at the end of the day, landlords like money. That's why they're in it. If you don't stay there, they don't get any money. And if they don't get money, they have to do something about getting their property into order. So that's what I meant. All right. Well, um, thank you all for coming in this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bob, Jules and Richard, uh, good luck to you all uh, in um, a couple of weeks' time. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.